Okay, we're going to do 1 Corinthians 12. <coughs> next week, there is no Tuesday night Bible study. Right? So next week, there will be no study because the teacher's out of town. And uh, have to, well, all of the Olson clan is out of town. So we'll be heading south for a little quick vacation. And uh, we will not then have Bible study next week, all right? So we'll get back on track when we come back. Uh, but uh, we plan to finish the whole book of 1 Corinthians, which is more, quite a lot more to do. So we'll be working on it through the summer, probably. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tonight. Um, I always remember uh, the whole focus of Corinthians and how to run a church. How do we run a church? What do we do? In this particular chapter uh, was preeminently taught in the 1970s. This chapter became like the most important chapter in the Bible <laughs> in the 1970s. And uh, it was a major issue, and they talked about it constantly. It was the issue of the day in the 70s, leading up to the 80s. And the reason for it, really, uh, I suppose, probably what caused the push was the charismatic movement. Charismatic movement, you're familiar with what that is. Um, People, the charismatic movement was a movement uh, that said we're tired of dead church and they had a reason to be. Uh, we're tired of dead churches and we want a live church and so we're going to go with the charismatic movement which was, that's what they called it, Pentecostal movement. It was, it was more like what it actually was. Uh, that is, people are going to um, wake up church, get it going, and uh, they're going to have worship services, and hence came, they threw out the hymn book, all right, they threw out the hymn book in that movement, which was a mistake, obviously, and uh, they did a few things, and when I was a teenager, uh, it was huge, and they had... Uh, meetings everywhere, all over. And I, you go, I went to a meeting once, and uh, everybody is shouting in tongues and screaming and yelling. And uh, wasn't for me, okay? But they had a reason because the churches were dead. And one of the things that happened in the 50s and 60s, leading up to the 70s, was that a lot of churches, uh, you had a preacher, and maybe a couple teachers, and, and that's all it was. The rest of you come and sit down and uh, uh, don't make any contribution except your money. We'll take your money. There's really nothing for you to do, so come and sit down. And there were reasons for that. Some of them were just plain lazy. That's all. They were just plain lazy. Uh, some of them felt unneeded. Come to church, nobody needs me. 
Nobody wants me to do anything. Uh, some of them said, there's nothing to do. We go to church and there's nothing to do when we get here. And a lot of those uh, churches, they'd hire cleaners to clean the church. Uh, they'd hire carpenters, anything needed to be fixed. They'd hire the jobs out. They hired musicians. It was pretty popular. You, you hire an organ player or something, they come in and play the organ and, and whatever it was. And uh, they just hired everything done and let everybody just sit there. Well, people said, I'm not going to sit there anymore. I'm sick of it. I want something better. And the charismatic movement came along, and they were much more all-inclusive, uh, much more uh, open the doors and let's go. And so they lit a fire under uh, the old churches and, and kind of tried to help get them going. And yet, uh, uh, for example, we started in 89. And we, of course, did not speak in tongues, didn't embrace that idea. I had a guy here working here. And he installed windows and did a lot of very talented carpenter. And he said to me, of course you know I could never go here. I said, why not? He said, because you don't have the Holy Spirit. I said, oh, really? Okay. Well, you go find it somewhere else then. You know, go ahead. Go ahead and look. And so uh, we're going to run into, as we go through chapter 12, the reason that those things happened. What caused it? And I understand and I agree that there was a deadness in the church. I mean, there's no question that the church was just as dead as a doornail in a lot of places. And so people said, hey, these people are moving and growing churches. And for a while, they were the most growing churches. And so um, not for long, but for a while. And so... Uh, how does a church work? This chapter, I mean, I heard it preached week after week after week after week after week after week after week. I am not going to talk about it like they did. <laughs> I got my own ideas, a little different, maybe closer to the text. But they were trying to get people involved. And so this was a chapter that they went through over and over and over and over again. It always amazes me that um, sometimes there's passages and it's just as plain as a nose on your face. Uh, we just skip that one. <laughs> skip over that one. We'll go to the next one. We're, that one will suit us better. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about some of the movements and so on and why things are the way they are. And... Uh, and then we'll see what he's saying here. Now, this is a question that comes up. Is, is he defining churches in general? Or is he talking to the church at Corinth? And that's a good thing to consider. That's when we're going to think about that. Think about what he's doing exactly. And we would say up till chapter 12, yeah, he's talking to the church of Corinth, right? That's what he's doing. And he's saying, you guys turned communion into a circus. Uh, you, 
I mean, you guys argue and fight, and he's given them all sorts of things that they've done wrong, and now he's coming here to try and set it right and show how a church is supposed to work. And it really is a well-written passage, uh, if you think about it a little bit. So let's start at chapter 12, and we'll go down through and see if we can think about what's going on. <clears throat> chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. All right? And so his topic that he's going to talk about, his main goal is a gifts, what we call the gifts of the Spirit, something that God gives to us. He said, I don't want you to not know what's going on. I'm going to help you to understand. Verse 2, you know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. He says, where did you come from? You came from a culture that worshipped an idol, and the idol couldn't talk. All right, and they just said, follow that idol. They told you to do it, and you did it. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. All right, and so he says the gifts of the Spirit. We can put that in here. Gifts of the Spirit. The Holy Ghost operates in a certain way, and whenever the Holy Ghost is operating, running the church the way he's supposed to, then there's always one major thing, Jesus is Lord of the church. Because we've got to start with that. Everything focuses on that. Jesus is Lord of the church. Jesus founded the church. Jesus rules the church. Jesus created the church. He put together something that was, and I'm going to add this word into it, uh, flexible. He was, made a church that was flexible and not rigid. Not rigid. All right? He didn't make it to be stiff. He made it to be flexible. And we'll see that as we go along. <laughs> now, so we're going to start with that. Every church that runs correctly is saying Jesus is Lord. He's the boss. He is the one. He is in charge of the church, the, the originator of it, the force behind it, and everybody has to admit he said, you guys used to worship idols that didn't talk. Now the Spirit of God is talking, and he's telling you Jesus is Lord of the church. And so everything about the church has to have that first. Jesus is in charge. Now we go to verse 4. All right. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administration, but the same Lord there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. Within the church that he founded, he said there's a tremendous flexibility. It is flexible. He said uh, there are, he said, first, diversities of gifts. 
there are many, many gifts, and I'm going to put abilities, and there's many abilities that God gives, not just one, not just a few, there's many, many abilities that are different from everybody else's that God gives. And then he says there are uh, differences of administration or there are leadership methods, different ways for leadership to behave. And then he says there are different methods of operations. There's different ways operate. He starts right out. Because remember, Jesus is in charge, okay? There's a lot of variety of gifts and abilities that people have. Huge variety. Leadership methods, there's not one, there's not two, there's not three, there's a multitude of leadership methods. And then he says, uh, ways that a church operates there are many, many ways. And so uh, that little three-verse passage has been ignored by multitudes of people for thousands of years. We're not going to look at that because we got the right way. <laughs> we got the right way. And what happens with the church is and they decide they got it right, they become more and more and more and more rigid. You got to do it this way. And it says, but there's different. No, 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 no. This is the way. We got it right. You got to do it this way. Catholic Church, which was the dominant church for a long time, uh, you talk about rigid, all right? And these people tell their ministers what sermon to preach. Here's your passage for today. You preach that passage for today. All over the world, I guess, they all preach the same thing. I mean, if there is one thing in leadership methods, I think that is most important. It's that who's ever preaching needs to go to the Holy Spirit and say, what do you want me to talk about Sunday? And ask, and ask again, and search, and look. And it's a whole week process as you search and look and question and try to find what God has for us for the week. And you just took that away from thousands and thousands of preachers because here's what you're going to do. Well, you took all the life out of it. All right? And they said, we're going to do it this way. And so people came along and said, well, we don't want to do it that way. Martin Luther said, I don't want to do it that way anymore. I'm going to do it a different way. So he said, I got a different way of leadership, and he started the Lutheran church. John Calvin came along right at the same time and said, well, I got a different way to do it. He started the Presbyterian movement. He said, we're going to have a group of men called the Presbyters, and they're going to lead the church. And that's going to be our leadership, and that's the right way to do it. <laughs> and then along came the congregational movement, and he said, nobody leads the church. The congregation leads, and we'll lead it. And that's the one that died out the quickest. Right? That's the one that died out almost immediately. 
because it was certainly an ineffective method. Uh, it's the idea that we're going to have um, like a political vote, and we're going to operate that way. Of course, that it didn't take long. There was a congregational church up in Millville. It's the only one I know of in the whole area it was a congregational church in Millville. Uh, most of them were in New England, and they just didn't succeed because there was no real leadership. You say, well, there's different ways to operate. There most certainly is. There most certainly is. And God uh, allows different things to come up. The Assembly of God came up at the turn of the century, late 1800s, Assembly of God stepped up as a Pentecostal movement and did very well. And Alliance, Christian Missionary Alliance came along at the same time and they said, we're gonna be a missionary organization and they spread all around the world. And there was different things that people did, different ways of operation. One of the most successful uh, for years was the Salvation Army talking about different ways to operate. They had General Booth, call him the general. And you would be a soldier if you were in the Salvation Army and somebody was a corporal and somebody was this and somebody was that. And they said, we're gonna use army terms to define it. And what they did was they went to the down and out people of London and pretty soon the down and out people all over the world. And that was their mission. And God said, good, that's a good way to operate. Have at it, do it, all right? And so there's been so many different ways and history says there's gonna be different ways. They're not all the same. And he expects them to be different. If you look at the gifts, or we're gonna talk about the abilities that people have, just look at how different God made everything. Walk in the woods and look at every tree. Find me two alike. Find me two that are even close. All right, so you don't say, well, that's the woods. All right, go in an orchard where they trim the trees. Find me two alike. Ain't gonna happen. It's not God's way. And so find me two people that are alike. I never saw anybody like me or you. <laughs> All right, everybody has a unique thing. And so God, that's God's method. He says, uh, no two people are the same. And so I'm going to give you abilities that maybe nobody else has. Things that you can do that nobody else can do, I'm going to give them to you. Why? For the church. It is the head, Jesus is Lord of the church, who's saying we will give each person an ability and we expect those abilities to uh, be used. And somebody will come along and say, well, you can't do it that way. <laughs> Who said? All right. Who said? Because God, and Paul starts right out, there are different methods. You had the uh, Episcopal, uh, the Methodist Episcopal Church had one main guy Francis Asbury in the United States. He went from church to church to church. He rode thousands of miles by horseback, preaching wherever he went and started the Methodist Episcopal Church in the United States. Tremendously powerful individual. And you say, well, that's one guy in charge. Yeah, and it worked. It worked well. 
Okay? So I said, well, we can't have one guy in charge. Tell him. <laughs> Tell God. Tell God. Francis Asbury shouldn't have been in charge. Tell God that. See what he says. He says, I put him in charge, and look what he did. He made the most vibrant churches. And that's why when you come stand where, well, of course, we were in a Methodist Episcopal church, and there's one in Millville, one in Westbury, one in Barry, one in Shelby, one in Shelby Center. One in, they're everywhere. By far outnumber everybody else. And you say the whole method didn't seem right. It seemed right to God. He approved, and he allowed it to be that way. And so when we want to say, you can't do it that way, somebody told me, they said, Eric, they said, what are you doing over in East Shelby? He's going to fix up the church and open up. He says, you can't do it that way. I said, well, I can. Get God's approval, I don't need yours. And they called me on the phone. Just at 9 o'clock at night, they called me. And they said, we want to be in on it. I said, well, we're kind of all set. And they said, well, you know, join our organization and We'll give you $4,000 tomorrow. I said, you can keep your $4,000. I don't need it. We're good. I got God on my side, and we're going. And so, you know, when somebody says you can't do it that way, it's, this says you can. There's different ways and different people, different methods. And so down through the ages, those people came along and said, we got to find something better. Martin Luther and John Calvin and all these people down through the ages and ages, you go back and back and back. It's all the same. They said, we got to do it better. And here's what we think. And God said, I approve, I approve, I approve. And they became vital movements. And so when we come to this, he's trying to tell us, all right, as long as Jesus is in charge of the church, you may have different methods, and you certainly all have different gifts. There's no congregation that is gifted like any others. They're all different. And you may have different forms of leadership, and he says, that's okay. He says, uh, here we go now. Let's go on, verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit they're all. So God says, I'm filling the church with people. I'm giving them various talents and abilities. And the idea is that everybody profits from each person's ability. Everybody is going to do something helpful. And it's going to add to each person in the church. So he's going to have to explain how that works. Verse 8. To one is given the spirit by the spirit the word of wisdom and so we have he begins to talk about what god does and he says one of the gifts is wisdom somebody has a word of wisdom that is they can answer questions uh, they can uh, lead clearly and help people to see a direction to go because they have the ability of wisdom the next one he says, um, another, the word of knowledge. All right, the word of knowledge. And 
And I want you to understand when he says somebody has a word of knowledge, uh, God didn't go, whoosh, there, he knows it all. That's it. It's where you get the word of knowledge. You read it, and you read it, and you read it, and you never stop reading it. You read it, and you read it, and you read all you can get your hands on. And that's how you understand the Bible, by studying. And the Spirit helps you understand what you study. And so some people know what they know because the Spirit's helping them to understand. Verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit. There are people who always trust God no matter what. And there's some people who never trust God. They just don't trust him. Something goes wrong, they go, oh God, why'd you do that? Come on. Trust him. Trust him. He gives you, will you take what he gives you in life? And you say, it comes from your hand, I'm good. I can handle it. All right? And so, to some, there's faith. And they have a lot of confidence in God. And you say, well, how did they ever get to be that way? God gave them a gift. God gave them something special they would believe. To another, the gifts of healing. Now, this is where we get into the, the question. Right? I'm going to put this one down in red. But we can go back to it. See, some people had the gift of healing. All right. Now, Personally, well, let's go on to the next one. Uh, verse 10. Some, another, the working of miracles. Miracles. Right. And to another, prophecy. All right, prophecy. Which I think in this case, Probably the ability to tell the future. So there's three things. How many people do you know with the gift of healing? I don't know any. And I can turn on the TV and he says he's got it. And he yells baby in somebody's ear. And he says, well, he heard me. He said, baby, come on. You know, let's not be ridiculous. <laughs> there was a guy up in Buffalo and, and uh, a friend of mine was at the service, the big healing service, and hundreds of people come you know, there to get healed. And uh, the guy came walking down the aisle, and he's talking to the people as he comes in. And he gets three, four rows up, and he says, Now, sir, tell me why you're here. He says, I'm here the same reason I went to your last service and didn't get helped. <laughs> they tossed him out on his ear. Not allowed to say that. All right, not allowed to say that, all right? Uh, so the question is, how about these gifts of healing and miracles and prophesying the future? Are they still around? There's a lot of people who will tell you yes, and there's a lot of people who will tell you no. I'm going to tell you that I think that these were in Corinth. There were people in Corinth had some of these abilities. We know that Peter did, right? Peter was walking around and says if his shadow fell on a sick person, they got better. My shadow don't do any good at all. <laughs> It'll help you a bit. All right? So uh, when it comes to the gift of healing, uh, what the general 
people, the belief is that somebody said, well, it's all available now. Well, we pray that people get healed. And if it happens, God did it. I've prayed for people and they've got healed. And it wasn't me. It was God. God did it. All right. And so healing is a mercy from God, I believe, and he lets it come. There was a time when there were gifts, special abilities that were given. And in the church in Corinth, I'm sure they had people like that. And we know they were in the early church, uh, people that had these extra abilities. Let's go on. <coughs> Verse 10, halfway down. To another, the discerning of spirit. The ability to discern spirits, or I'm going to call that an intuition. People have a sense, and they hear somebody say something, and they kind of have a sense, the ability to say, oh, I'm looking through the motive there, uh, what drives people, especially when somebody has the wrong motive, uh, discerning of spirits. Um, very helpful when you're dealing with Jehovah Witnesses and those kind of people uh, that come in believing a lie. Uh, you really need to be able to discern. I believe that is present. Here's the next one where it gets exciting. To another, divers of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All right, and so in the church in Corinth, they were able to speak in tongues, and they were able to interpret tongues. Right? And you say, well, that's the big thing. Yeah, sure it is. The, one of the movements, uh, Pentecostal movement, the way they operate, it says you don't have the Holy Spirit unless you speak in tongues. No. Didn't we just say God gives to whoever he wants, whatever he wants, and they're all different? Didn't we just say that? Well, they're going to tell you, you got to speak in tongues or you just ain't got it. That's what that guy told me. He was a good friend of mine. He was here working on the church. And he said, oh, i got to go somewhere where they got the spirit. Okay. Couldn't be us because we don't speak in tongues. Come on. Come on. That's That's... Uh, and certainly there was a time when tongues was essential. First time tongues appeared, the day of Pentecost. You're in Jerusalem. There's hundreds of people from all over the world, and people from Africa, people from Greece, people from out in Asia, almost to India. Uh, people are all over, and they all spoke different languages. And what does it say? They each heard in their own language. So what was spoken was a known tongue. So that what? You can tell the gospel to everybody. And I think that Paul, Paul said he speak, spoke in tongues. I think as he traveled from place to place, he could speak whatever language wherever he was. I think he had that ability. But he said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Why? Because he was always moving. He was traveling here and there and across the Asia Minor and, and in all kinds of places. And so uh, when they say, you got to have tongues, uh, <laughs> then that's when I say, maybe you 
get tongues, but you don't have to because it just said there's a multitude of gifts and everybody's different, all right? And so uh, some say, I have one gift. Let's go on, verse 11. To all these worketh that one and self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. All right, and so God gives to some people one gift. God gives to some people 10 gifts. God gives to some people two gifts. And he does whatever he wants. It's his choice. He can do it, all right? And so all of these gifts came from God, came from the Holy Spirit, given to us, so that we have something special. Something special that you can do. All right, now let's go to verse 12. For as a body is one, hath many members, all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether it be Jews or Gentiles, or we be bond or free, and all made to drink into one spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. All right, so he says there's a flexibility, there's something unique about the church of Jesus Christ. It is organized, working together, doing God's work. And it's a very flexible thing. And so he says, the best way I can describe it, it's like a human body. It's flexible, okay? <laughs> and it works together. And there's different parts. And all the parts are formed together, run by the head. He said, Jesus is the head. Jesus is the brains. Jesus is what's operating the body. And so in a church, what it is, is a group of people who are flexible, doing all different sorts of things like a body can do with the instruction coming from the brain, the head, Jesus Christ, down to the body. So a church has, was intentionally made flexible by God. He made it to be able to function and move. And so point being is that, well, you don't need me. You need everybody. And what part of your body don't you need? About all I can think of is hair. <laughs> right? You don't really need that. I got rid of some of mine. I mean, you know, but most everything you kind of need, right? Anything you, eh, I don't need that. Well, I kind of like to have all the parts working. And, and what he's about to do now is actually, it's almost a comedy routine. It's funny. It's funny if you stop and think about it. All right, verse 15. If the foot shall say, because I am not a hand, I am not a member of body, is it therefore not of the body? So your foot talking to you, <coughs> and, and there, there's your foot, all right, your foot says, I don't belong to you, nobody ever sees me, I'm just down here on the bottom, I don't belong, don't you say that, I need you, 
All right, it gets, it gets actually pretty funny, verse 16. And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I'm not out of the body, is it therefore not out of the body? This reminds me of that Star Trek, the old Star Trek thing. Remember, there was a character on there that was just a big eye. You know, some guy, little space guy, it was one big eye. And I'm thinking, he can't hear. <laughs> he got no ears. What do you want to talk to him for? He's just a big old eye. It's silly. And what he's saying, he says, it's kind of funny. All right. Uh, verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, there's this, this Star Trek guy, where were the hearing? Couldn't hear. Can you imagine uh, if the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? What if on the top of your neck was just a great big ear? What good is that? I can't smell a steak cooking. All right, I, I, <laughs> he says, and he's kind of a funny thing. He's saying, what if you just had a big ear or one big eye? Right. What if your foot said, I'm not playing. I'm not part of this. You can't do it, all right? Uh, 18, but now God has set the members, every one of them a body as it pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? So if we're all an eye, all right, how's that gonna go? Ain't gonna go good. You can't say, well, we're all gonna be preachers. You don't need that many preachers. You hardly need one, <laughs> all right? And you can't say, we're all gonna be preachers. Well, maybe, maybe somewhere, but you know, that's the one we need the least of. We only need one. So it's one of those things He's trying to teach us, all right? We need all the parts of the body working together, all right? Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So we can't say to each other, we don't really need you. You're not a part. You're not what we're doing. You don't belong. We can't ever say that to anybody. Because everybody was given, he says, something that they can use, all right? We can never say to anybody that comes to church, we don't need you. We do need you. We do need you. Nay, much more, verse 22, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. He says, so take your ugly old feet, all right? Without them, how you going? You're not going. <laughs> he said, take my feet, I don't need them. Where are you going? Having the ability to walk is what sets people free. When they get old and they lose that ability, it's a tremendous kick in the teeth. And he says, you, you have parts you think, they don't look like much, them old feet down there. No, they don't, but you sure need them. And he says, you're going to find in the church, there's people you think, well, they're not up singing solos and they're not doing that. You need them. You need them. And he's going to explain why as we go along. Let's keep going. Verse 24, and our comely parts have no need. Your hair is 
there's this thing. What do you need to that? But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to the part that lacked. Right? And so uh, we talked about the feet. That's a pretty important thing. That there should be no schism in the body, that the members should have the same care one for another. He says, so the body is never to say, I don't need you, I don't need you. We're all to say, we need everybody. And that's kind of where the issue will come in. So we need everybody. Somebody says, well, I'm not participating. Oh, really? But we, you were sent here, we need you. You got something to do, all right? You can't just say, oh, I, I'm not gonna be a part. And here's why. Here's what happens in a regular human body. Verse 26, whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. When one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Uh, stub your toe and then just stand there and say, it don't hurt. It hurts all over, right? You bang your head. <laughs> You don't say to your feet, don't say, hey, I don't feel nothing. It hurts all over. And he says, it's the way a human body functions. You smack your thumb. I smacked my finger the other day with a, one of those big nail guns. And I can't think of nothing else but that. I went to play the piano and it hurt. It's better now. Right. Don't do that. Because it makes the whole body hurt. And when someone in the body is hurting, then we all feel bad. We all have a responsibility to feel bad. We can't say, ah, oh, well, they'll get by. No, no, it hurts everybody. It's the way it's supposed to be. Verse 27. And now you are the body of Christ, members in particular. Right? So he says, it's a, the best way to describe a church is like a functioning body, each part necessary. One part hurts, we all hurt. One part feels good, helps us all to feel good. And that's what the church is supposed to be like. Verse 28, God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. Right, so he mentions first apostles. Um, and apostles, and then he said prophets, and then teachers. He's making a list. The first thing is the apostles. And there are people call themselves apostles today. We think that the Bible said Here's the 12 apostles. And then we get to the end of the story in Revelation, and what does it say? 12 apostles. Hmm. So all the other guys are calling themselves apostles? Well, maybe they're preachers. All right, maybe not apostles. But it's a word that gets used. I think, who's our apostle? Peter. Right, tonight it's Paul. These are apostles. All right, that's our apostles. God gave them a gift to tell what Jesus did, and they explained it perfectly. And so I think he gave some to be apostles, not many. He says he gave some to be prophets, and some people think that a prophet is a preacher. 
as opposed to a teacher. And I think that could be true, what he's saying here. And the reason I say that is because preaching is very, very different from teaching. Very different. Entirely different. You stand up to preach is a whole other thing. You're proclaiming. You're making true statements. And when you stand to teach, then you explain and explain and explain. It's an entirely different process. It's very hard to get used to that when I, somebody said, hey, you're going to preach at my church Sunday. And I said, well, all I ever did was teach. Well, you better learn. <laughs> it's an entirely different thing. So I think it's probably true. He says there are preachers, there are people that have the ability to teach. And then he goes on. Um, after that, miracles, gifts of healing. All right, we talked about those. And is he talking to the church in Corinth? Yes, he is. Did they have those? Yes, they did. All right. And then helps, governments. All right. I'll put this one as big as I can. Helps. And there's government, people who organize, help to get things organized, keep track of things. Diversities of tongues, we talked about that. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Have all to get the healing? No. Do all speak with tongues and do all interpret? No. All right, so he says these gifts. And we say, these gifts were given in the early church as a sign. And so when they walked around Jerusalem and they're healing people by the side of the road and, and healing people all over, uh, they were saying, well, how do we know that these crazy guys have got the truth? Can you do that? <laughs> That's how. Same way with Jesus. Right? Jesus can, can you do what Jesus? How do you know Jesus was God? Can you do that? Can you walk on water? Can you feed 5,000? Can you raise the dead? No. But now some of these had the ability to do that. Why? Because they had people identified it immediately. Jesus did that, right? Jesus rose the dead. And they rose the dead in the book of Acts. Some people were risen from the dead. Uh, and they healed all kinds of people. Well, okay, Peter did it and Jesus did it, so hmm, they must go together. And so we believe that these, some of these gifts that were witnessed in Corinth were part of what we call a sign gift, proof that the Holy Spirit had come. All right, and so uh, we also believe that there are still miracles that happen. I've told you some of these before, and I'll go over them quickly again. Uh, usually it's out in the mission field somewhere uh, where you hear these things. Uh, there's a, a friend of mine was a missionary in South America, and he told me, he said, there was a guy down there that they raised from the dead. I said, man, we never heard that. No, he said, but I saw it. You raise somebody from the dead. You say, well, uh, that's, that's God working through the prayers of people. And I've told you the story about in the missionaries in Africa trying to escape. 
as the army was coming, and they were going up a river and said, if we can cross this river, the other side will be safe. So they said, well, this looks good. And they walked across the river, and they found a little village. They went to the village. They said, we came over here to escape the army. They said, well, how'd you get here? We walked across the river. You didn't walk across the river. Yeah, you did. We walked across the river. What do you mean? He said, I don't know. We just started in. It was around our ankles. We went all the way across. They said the river's 20 feet deep there. You can't walk across the river. Who else walked on water? All right. It was a miracle that happened in modern times down there in Africa. And uh, uh, I had a friend of mine, friend of my parents, and she was a missionary in New Guinea. And in New Guinea, um, uh, she went into the interior and uh, some other missionaries, and they were uh, cannibals. They eat you. Right? Well, they went in there and brought the gospel to those cannibals, and they uh, believed, and they accepted Christ. And she said what they would do was, oh, you're in the middle of the jungle. They got nothing. And they can probably make bread, but they certainly don't have wine. And she said, when they said we're going to have communion, they'd fill a cup of water. And when they started communion, it became wine. And she said they did it over and over and over again. And eventually, she said, it went away and stopped happening. But she said, there was time after time, way in the interior of the jungles where these heathens, uh, cannibals, came to believe in Christ and they'd have a communion service and God turned the water into wine. Who did that? Jesus did that. All right? And so God has used miracles and still can if he wants to down through the ages to help people and understand uh, that in some cases this is where it counts. All right. So uh, it's, it's a very important thing and I want to finish with this one. The largest category is here, right? And he put that in there. Boy, did he open a door. Because he knew God was going to open the door. All right? The largest category of gifts. People that help. All right? By far the largest. Everybody can help. All right? And it's, it's a huge category. And one of the things that we've focused on since we've started this church, because I was in the 80s and 70s when they were talking about this stuff all the time. And I thought to myself, I think that one called helps might be the answer to a whole lot of truth. So uh, if we say we want to come to our church, uh, you want to participate. Well, we, got, we need a lot of help. You can do a lot of things. We could hire it all done. All right? Or we could say, who wants to help? Who wants to help? So I just made a quick list here. Cleaners, they're helpers. Very much helpers. In the early days when I was young, they were hiring people to come in and clean the church. 
They don't do that. We've got people here that can help. They're going to clean the church. They're helpers. Lawn mowing is a helping. Weeding is a helping job. Uh, planting is a helping job. Painting, repairs are a helping job. Kitchen work is a helping job. Uh, food tray, or as we call it, the trough, donations. People come in and put something on a table for you as a helper. That's a gift of the Spirit. God made people to step up and help. Serving food. Some people are really good. They serve food. We need that. We need singers. All right? We need people that can play instruments. We need people that can teach. We really need people that can babysit. That's a gift. Go over there. I've seen them in action. And they're good. They're good. That's a gift that they have. They can sit down with little children. I go over there, it's disastrous. That ain't my gift, okay? I wasn't <laughs> put here to do that. I, they asked me to babysit once in the church, and they never asked me to do that again. They said, we can never put him in the nursery. That's true, because that wasn't my thing. Broken things are gifts. And that means what? Somebody's door is broke. Somebody's plumbing is broke. And it doesn't have to be here, you understand. It's not have to be here. You can help the body of Christ all right, and relieve the stress of the body of Christ when you go to their house and fix what's broken. That's a huge thing. That's a huge thing. Some people got the ability to fix things. That's a gift from God, and he has given it to you to use in the body of Christ. All right? You say, well, the church doesn't have a van. No, but there's a lot of people that got one. And there's a lot of people that could really use a hand. There's something at their house. Here's another one, giving money. Some people, that's their gift. God gave them the ability to give money, and sometimes they don't have much, and sometimes they do have it. But he says, some people give money. And I'm shocked sometimes by how often somebody shoves something in my pocket, and I go home, gee, where'd that come from? People have the ability, that's their gift give money to relieve the stresses of the body of Christ so that we can be all together. So helps is a huge thing, and that's why we come to open house. You know, there's 30 events. I count them. There's 30 things you can be participating in. I think there's something there you can do. <laughs> there's some way you can participate and help. All right, and that is the church doing what? Uh, functioning together, reaching out. That's what churches are for, reaching out to people. We even have, uh, for our older folks, you're a friendly citizen. You know, that means I'm too old to do anything. No, that means we need you sitting down there talking to people. 
We need to. I ain't got time to talk to anybody. I'm going to sing five concerts and play another one and run around like a nut the whole day. All right? People will grab me as I'm running by and ask me a question. I'll answer it as I'm leaving. All right? But there's plenty of people that can help. And it's a very much the understanding that he's given us here, the body functions together, and you can't say to anybody, we don't need you, and neither can you say as an individual, I'm not a part. Yes, you are. You are a part. And there's a place for you to function, all right? And so that's why this church is focused on that gift more than any other because if there ever was an all-inclusive we're going to make each part of the body function helps is the perfect way to do it now notice verse 31 covet earnestly the best gifts all right uh, ask god to give you the thing that you can do. And sometimes helps is by far the best way you can help to relieve the stresses of the body of Christ. And then he says, yet I'm going to show you a more excellent way. Wait, 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 wait a minute. I thought this is how churches work. Yeah. But there's a better way. There's a better way. It can't be a better way. Look at that's everything. There's a better way. Next time we get together, not next week, but the week after, we'll find out the best way. All right, thank you.